What's going on, guys? We're coming in. <laughs> coming in! You're listening to the Face of Bay Network. <laughs> we invite people of all backgrounds to share their stories. Their nuanced conversations. And forward thinking. And not taking ourselves too seriously. Everyone's story matters. Every voice is important. Life is polarizing. But not everything is black and white. Come join us as we fade to gray. Ow, 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 What's going on, guys? Fade that down for me, Chris. Fade that down. Give me a little sweet fade out right there. There it is. There it is. What's going on, guys? I am excited to be the one to introduce this episode to come in for you guys. You're coming in. <laughs> we, we are. Yes, it's my tu- it's, it's my turn to come in, Seth. Okay. Did I okay. did I tell y'all that we've been making that joke since May? Really? May of May of twenty oh two. Twenty twenty. Yes. Yeah. We have our guest today, er- Eric Riddle, um, aka Harry Potter. Um, no, I'm very excited to, to talk with Eric. Um, this is actually our second interview with Eric. Um, I'm not sure if he remembers the first one. I think he says he doesn't remember the first one. I didn't even know it happened. Seriously. <laughs> we'll talk, we'll get into that a, a little bit, uh, today, but luckily the audio no longer exists. Um, <laughs> I, as preparing for this interview, I was talking with the team and I guess just a few few weeks ago or a month ago um it got deleted because we're like oh we'll never need that and then i was like following you know your story over the last year and you're coming it was about 310 days now of sobriety yeah. and i was and you look completely different and i'm like man we got to talk to eric again and um so we tried to find the archive that audio and it's no longer available but we'll, we'll get into it there were some things that were said that were, like we we're like okay this was funny and now it's awkward so don't really know where to go with this and <laughs> wow. we actually may have been live too i can't i can't remember um <laughs> pretty sure yeah pretty sure we were live so on so it might time. actually exist if you guys dig deep enough start scrolling now maybe let us know if you <laughs> I find think it. we deleted it <laughs> i'm almost positive we deleted i it. think we did <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So Eric Riddle, the legend, the boy that lived—is that what it was, Chris? <laughs> yeah, sure. That's fine. Um, it was a Harry Potter reference, the boy who lived. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't either. Well, it's because you got the glasses, you know, and you kind of look like Harry Potter a little bit. No, but I, I mean, the boy who lived—is <laughs> that like a Harry Potter thing? I mean, yes. Yeah. yeah, he is the boy who lived. I'm as lost oh. as you are with that one, Eric. And your last name is Riddle. And right. Voldemort's name was Tom Riddle. I mean, there's so many tie-ins here. So I'm the protagonist and the antagonist. Yes. Right. But so was Harry. Spoiler alert. Mm. Mm. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. So, oh, yeah, Chris. Let's get to know. Let, let, let's let's deep dive into <laughs> your story and uh, yeah. and find out some, um, some more about, you know, the boy who lived Eric Riddle. Um, the thing that I'm most excited about this interview, we've been getting some really good interviews lately with some authors and some public speakers and you know, been able to get their story on a kind of a personal level. Um, but the heart of Fade to Gray, and which is great. It's great for the downloads. It's great for Fade to Gray. And I love doing that. But just to rem- remind ourselves, you know, who we are, like everybody's story matters. doesn't matter where you come from. doesn't matter how many books you sell or if anybody knows who you are in a public space. You know, we, we all share 
um, life experiences. We're all like human beings on this rock, you know, in the sky. So um, it's just great hearing, um, especially hearing this recovery story of, you know, sobriety and things like that. And um, I'm, I know the Eric Riddle, the alcoholic, when he was drunk, was very entertaining. So um, getting, I'm very oh excited. God, so funny. Yeah, I'm very excited to meet the Eric Riddle sober. <laughs> so here we go. That's your intro. Yeah. We definitely okay. don't want to celebrate the uh, the Eric Riddle that was not sober, but we had some really good times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll see that. And you're always very intelligent. I had some like really fascinating conversations, but we'll, we'll see where this goes. So. So um, we met at the podcast that shall not be names uh, for Marco Polo group <laughs> sort of deal. And uh, we were basically a, a, lot, a lot of a lot of late night conversations. Um, and so I yeah. know um, a lot of them revolved around religion. And um, I know you were kind of thinking about some stuff then. A lot of it revolved around politics. I think at that point you were uh, voting Trump. Um and, and, and proud of it. And so we'll see how, if that's still the same or if things have changed at all, but let's just get to know. So you, you grew up in the South. Where are you at right now? I am in Dover, Florida. And yes, for those who don't know me, hi, I'm Eric. I'm an alcoholic. So <laughs> this yeah. isn't a meeting. <laughs> what a lead in, Omar. It's, it's just about, it's yeah. just about as bad as saying, this is Omar. He's my black husband. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough fair enough all right well, so, well sorry to just put you on the spot but yes this is this is eric and so when we've been up to how how you been we met you in the bad christian group so you know uh, we yeah. talk a little bit about faith so like uh you found out you're an alcoholic you're on the sobriety journey is did does uh, alcoholism run in the family is this something that like um you could have seen coming or yeah. Yeah. Um, it was, there's, I had heard my entire life that alcohol runs in the family. Um, but there was like, from my childhood, there was this really weird inner struggle because I grew up for a really long time thinking that drinking alcohol is a sin. Well, as I study scripture more and more, because my dad trained me to study the Greek and the Hebrew and everything. There was this one epic moment where I met my dad's and he's like, show me in the Bible. And I'm probably, I don't know, 10 years old. And I'd go through all these litanies of scriptures and you knew, stuff. You knew and Greek and Hebrew at 10 years old, Eric? I didn't know it, but I could interpret it in the Bible. Yeah. Holy and um, I couldn't find any place to bring it to them. And so I had this like earth shattering moment that, okay, drinking alcohol is in sin. And from there it became this challenge of, okay, I'm going to prove that it's okay to be a Christian and drink booze. It's okay to do the two together. And um, so that went on for a really long time. And uh, I would say that sort of began my drinking career right there. Um, and, uh, yeah, eventually on, I would, I had taken a leave of absence in March of last year from work. Thankfully, they let me do that. Um, a friend of mine, a coworker kind of had an intervention with me while I was drinking on the job in a parking garage. 
Um, and he said, we need to do something. Um, work will let you take off. And so I go through all that. I go through my fourth detox and third detox, I'm sorry. And I come back out within 24 hours, I'm drinking again. So I'm on a leave of absence from like for about two weeks, I would say. And finally, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I can't go back to work still drunk like this. Something really has to change. Something different has to happen. So I went back in to detox. And um, while I was in detox, I decided that I was going to go to an actual rehab following detox because all of those detoxes, I mean, sure, they got the alcohol in my system, but nothing changed. My life didn't change. Um, circumstances didn't change. So I went to a treatment center for 30 days and um, that was on 3-14-2020. And uh, that's when uh, everything kind of changed. That's like everything in a nutshell. Of course, that's leaving out um, the five seizures I had, my broken teeth. These are, these are caps right here. Um, yeah, I had five seizures. One, I was at work and I completely ate concrete. Um, another one, I guess it was almost on like a urinal um, <laughs> that I woke up and they had pulled me out of the bathroom. Four compression fractures in my back. I broke my wrist. There's a plate in my wrist now. Um, so lots of injuries, and that's not even considering the other human wreckage that I left behind. Man, you probably don't remember this, Eric, but we would talk on Marco Polo when you would just be, you know, three sheets to the wind, and uh, you ate concrete on more than one occasion. You know, really? and your camera would still be going, and you would just be out. You know, I mean that that happened. You know, you probably don't oh, remember man. that, but you mentioned that you decided to change your life on March the 14th of last year. Was that not like the exact date that the United States declared like a COVID emergency? I don't know, but that totally worked out to my benefit. It was, um, it was really a God thing the way all of it worked out because even whenever I came back from my leave of absence because of COVID and I'm sitting in a treatment center and all this COVID stuff is happening I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Trump's on every single day and <laughs> people are just obliterating him and interviewing him. And I come back to work and everything is remote. So I never had to go to the office. I haven't even been back to the office since. And that helped my recovery tremendously um, because the anxiety of actually going back to the office, commuting. I was, I was, I didn't just drive under the influence. Like I drove and drank at the same time so commuting that was a huge stressor like going through my mind that i'm gonna have to go on the same path where i always had a cup full and on my way into work and stuff yeah god worked that out perfectly so um, so changing the habits really it, it was the, the biggest thing and and having basically your whole life just well most of our lives at that point got kind of turned upside down in one way mm -hmm. or another and can kind of but it, it's really 
inspiring to how you were able to use that, like you said, at the right time, whether God or whatever it might be. It's kind of hard to think that like, you know, God sent like a coronavirus to get you to re- to recover from alcoholism. But, but, but God be loves up- me that much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, it's his plan. It's his plan for my life and y'all are involved in it. Okay. <laughs> All right, Harry. Just don't, just don't smite me. <laughs> but yeah, I you look great, and I know that um, what Chris said. One of the times, one of the last times we spoke, because we used to talk, you know, often um, in private polos and stuff, and like we have really deep conversations. And you were three sheets to the wind. It was, it was kind of remarkable, but. Um, you know, one time, like you're talking to me and you, a friend of yours was over there and I remember, you know, you, you ate, you ate shit. And I just remember that like, that was not long before you got help. And, and, and so I was very right. happy. I mean, it was one of those things is like, man, I miss Eric, but like, it's probably better that I don't see him right now, you know, because with changing all the habits, it'd probably be hard with everyone kind of expecting that of you, if you were to show back up. And, um, so, um, Dude, it was it was day after day I would wake up and I'd say, God, why did you wake me up again today? And it was a dread to look at my phone because it was, what did I do yesterday? I knew there was something that I was ashamed of that I did. And I didn't even want to look at my phone. I was scared, terrified of my phone. And of course, as soon as I got the booze back in my system, it's like, I'm good to go. I can like, whatever, you know, it's fine. <laughs> and I was back on my phone embarrassing myself. again. <laughs> when people think about alcoholics, I think that they misunderstand that it's not an unhappy person necessarily that's turned alcohol. Right. So tell us about how you, first, I mean, I know that you decided that drinking wasn't a sin. And so you were going to test that, but tell us about your first, uh, your first experience with alcohol. Oh, well, um, I'm actually a pretty introverted and insecure person. I always felt like a freak. Um, I, my parents are divorced. I'm an only child. And, um, So I never really felt like I fit in. Alcohol lowered my inhibitions and it it really helped me with that social component of just letting go. And it was like, okay, I may not have all of these things in common with all these people and I might still be a freak, but we're all drinking and we have that in common. And um, I remember for the longest time, it was like, oh, I can't get drunk must be because I'm Scottish or something. I can't get drunk, (laughs) but um, I lost my virginity, got drunk and high on the same day when I was like 17. And um, I just love drinking. Like I remember hanging out with friends and I would think we're not, we're not cool. We should be drinking. We should be hanging out with girls. Like girls aren't over here. Where's the booze? We need this. We need that because that's what society says that we ought to be doing. And that's, what's going to make me comfortable with myself and feel like I should. So on this 
path of recovery and where, where you're at today, um, what has helped you in coming out of your shell and, and overcoming that social anxiety and, you know, just feeling more like yourself and uh, like, how did you grow out of that? Cause it sounds, sounds like maybe alcohol kind of helped you at first coming, coming out of your shell, but then it became a crutch to where it never let you ever actually progress into the person you were meant to be and it or seemed, be yourself. Exactly. And now it seems like you're more confident in yourself. You're willing to come on and talk about some of these things. You're just kind of like, yeah, I'm wide open. Ask me anything, which, you know, we haven't got into some of the fun stuff yet, but, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I, how, what kind of coping mechanism do you use now or how, how is it, what do you do to overcome that social anxiety and, without the alcohol as a crutch? Okay, so um, quite a few things, actually. Um, I look at my sobriety date as almost like a new birth. Um, And so when that happened, I kind of became aware of a lot of other things that I had whenever I was excited about life, whenever I was a kid that had become jaded. that I do have potential to do things. My life does matter. Um, God has a calling for me. All of these sorts of things felt alive again that I had whenever I was a kid. And um, so it was like my life started over. But on a daily basis, I do follow, um, I follow like a regiment. I think I look at the whole person as mind, body, and spirit. And I believe that it takes daily maintenance, kind of like in AA, we talk about um, it being a one day at a time thing. I embrace that for my whole person, which is what led me to running, which is a huge part of my life now, running is. um, But every single day I need to do something to maintain my health, and my mind, my body, and my spirit. And if one is weaker or stronger than the other, then I'm out of balance. I will be unhappy and I won't feel right. So I meditate very big into meditation. I start my day off with um, a devotional. Like first thing, that's what I do. And my work also, along with the meditation, stimulates my mind and my body is with my training. I'm doing marathon training right now. So it's incredible. Every single day, that's what I do. I want to uh, ask some questions here. Um, no. First of all, I, I want to say thank you for coming back onto the show and being this vulnerable about your story. I think that it's um, it's incredible to hear and see. And and truly, as Omar mentioned, you look incredible. Um, and you know, you mentioned the seizures and the blackouts and, you know, what was going on, but what was that turning point on that date? Um, that I couldn't do it. I could do it. I could not. It's, it's really kind of like step one of the big book. I realized that I could not, I was powerless over alcohol. There was no thing that I could do on my own to control that. And my life was certainly unmanageable. That's the second part of step one. So um, 
I had to do something if I wanted to do life. If I wanted to live, like I had to do something else. Everything that I had exhausted myself trying. And it was like, this is, this is it. I'm either going to die um, or I'm, I'm going to try something else. And that was going into the treatment center. Was there, but was there something, was there something specific that happened or was it just like the accumulation? Because I, I know, you know, as someone who's struggled in the past with alcohol myself, mm-hmm. I have like, you know, I would be in those uh, cyclical processes of just kind of beating myself up. So I can see myself thinking that all the time, but not making the move. You, you know what I'm yeah. saying? So like what, had had something horrible just happened or did you just wake up and have the thought like what what was the 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 you know was had something happened um no there wasn't there was not like one huge tragic thing that happened it was um like you said an accumulation of all the things reflecting back on it um that period after my third detox and I was sitting there off of work. I had a lot of time in those two weeks to think. And it was like, wow, I have done nothing but drink on this time off from work that I'm getting paid to recover and I'm not recovering. (laughs) So I can either take this time and do something about my life. And yeah, I might not have a job when I get back, but they're paying me now and they're going to pay me to go to this treatment center. And this might be the one shot and chance that I get because treatment centers are not cheap. That's pretty incredible that you're, you know, the company that you work for would do that for you. Is, is it kind of like a, a well-known company or is it more like just local community type company? No, it's um, it's a big four accounting firm. Wow, that's incredible! Shout out to them. Yeah, big ups. You know, and and helping your whole process and getting you started. Sounds like there's no way that you were making that step on your own. And how much of that? It was like the perfect storm. But still, um, credit to you because a lot of people will see that fork in the road and you know take the other direction and not make that decision. So, and um, you must be a damn good accountant. You know that. (laughs) Well, like Rain here's, Man. here's another one of those God things. I find out that um, my director, she's only like two heads above her. I go on a 5K run with her after I'm back. And I'd been sober for a few months and everything. I'm back to work. I go on a 5K run with her. And she pulls me aside and we're talking. And um, she just says like, Oh yeah, this is like uh, 700 days for me. And I had no idea, like I felt this weird connection with her. Like, I don't know why she likes me. I know she doesn't like me romantically because she's gay, but um, <laughs> there's, she, she likes me for whatever reason, but she had that intuition that he's going through what I had been through and, and that empathy and compassion. So I find, I find that out in hindsight. So that's pretty rad. Yeah. 
Cool. We're right on. We didn't necessarily just come on to, you know, have you talk and tell stories of, you know, embarrassing stories about alcoholism. Maybe like uh, <laughs> thought that this is a good time again, you know, with Faye DeGray. A lot of times the people we co- that have come on our show, um, sometimes they're pretty like-minded. You know, they've been, they've deconstructed from church. You know, they're no longer in church or they're doing church in a completely outside of the box way. Um, we talked to a lot of people that way. And then also a lot of the people that we have on, um, you might want to say lean left or, you know, like there is a definite, like we don't have very many people who voted for Trump on our show. And, um, Andy's not here anymore is what I'm saying. (laughs) I know. And and we miss him. And that's the thing is like, it's not like we're doing it on purpose. It's not like we're trying to say, Hey, we, we don't think that anybody on that side has anything intelligent to say. It's just one of those things that has seemed to happen. So I'm excited to maybe get into some things politically, um, even like religiously that like it may be a different flavor for Faye DeGray. Um, and we don't have to agree. Um, but I'm just curious, kind of, you mentioned a, a few times now about your recovery and how big God has, has, you know, basically sent COVID in order for you to stop drinking. So, <laughs> so, so, um, are you going to a church now? Are you, are you so, socially gathering with people like um on sunday mornings do you have a community not currently um i i still am a member and technically a a, a minister a licensed minister at my church it's a it's a historic black church which ties into part of the reason why um I tried it during COVID and um, I just didn't really feel comfortable or it best for me to keep going. Um, maybe with the vaccine coming out, um, things will be different, but I've also been really busy with marathon training and stuff. However, I still consider myself a member of that church. Um just COVID has impacted my decision too. Do they have an online presence where you can still kind of feel connected and like listening to the sermons that way? Or have you, um, it's intermittent sometimes. And when you say it's a historically black church and the reason that you didn't want to go is because of COVID, is that because people of color are are more affected by COVID and you're being mindful of that or because you don't want to catch COVID? No, it's because they they are from statistically speaking they they're more prone to the virus, um, and in that community there was quite a few uh, positive results as gotcha. well. Well, most yeah. churches I've I've been to, whether I mean most churches I've been to were not necessarily black churches, but they still were filled with people who were at high risk because a lot of them were, yeah. you know, a lot of churches are filled Obese. with the elder, elderly. Yes. So, yeah. Oh, but elderly, <laughs> <laughs> what did you think I was going to say, Chris? I didn't catch that. <laughs> Obese. <laughs> oh, well there's that too. Yeah. I, I guess the, there, there's a, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of markers there um though for sure that um would leave people susceptible but yet still um people you know, can want to exercise their right i guess to gather i don't get it anyway um maybe we'll but it sounds like 
Um, you know, you're, you're talking about a vaccine, um, and you know, you're talking about, you know, being mindful of COVID and stuff like that. So it does not sound like you're, um, you know, hammering down party lines there very well, Eric. Yeah. As a former Trumper is COVID real (laughs) or is he, or is he still a a Trumper, which is, Oh yeah, my bad. I don't even know. (laughs) Um, well I can be kind of short with that actually. And my response, um, I think his time has come and gone. Um, I do agree with the ideas that he has espoused as stances, like this is what we're going to do. But I think that for so long, people on the right ignored his character defects because of what he was doing. Well, he does a good job. And it kind of reached a pinnacle to where, we can't ignore these character defects anymore. Um, ego gone completely crazy. I mean, you're talking about there's a fucking cult a falling in. <laughs> Well, yeah. I, I mean, you can't overthrow the country. Um, the, 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 like, you can't be a president of a non-existent country. Like, that just doesn't work. You either want a country or you don't, man. Um, and when I was watching C-SPAN, whenever they were arguing in Congress about, um, election fraud and I saw the people come in and it was crazy. I was watching it all day. And when he, he made the decision not to call in the national guard and stop it that shows a huge failing in leadership right there. Like, did you, did you go to bed that night and think people died today and they did it for me. This is my legacy. I mean, it's just none of it jives or makes sense at all. It really doesn't. Um, So I think his time has come and gone. I can't, yeah. I can't um, really say that I don't or I do support him because I don't even really know where he's at right now, to be honest. That's a very honest answer. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I think um, I think you made a couple of really good points there. Yeah, and thank you very much for your honest answer. But I th- one thing that we don't get a lot of here at Fade to Gray is is saying anything positive about the Trump presidency, which you know I would I would be willing to to say that I think that the America First mentality is is necessary. Nationalism uh, as a as not necessarily nationalism, but taking care of our country first for sure. Uh, I think giving it to China is what we need to do because they're completely. Uh, raping our economy and ripping us off. Right. Um, so, I mean, there are cer- certain things that Trump did that I was actually super behind. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think at this point, I think you're absolutely right. Like there is definitely a huge disconnect between his character and what, um, you know, we would need as a leader. Uh, certainly yeah. anyone who would incite violence in the country has no place. And, and that's why, you know, I support the impeachment currently, because I think we need to set the precedent for Mm -hmm. that. So, um, 
you know, I, I don't want to sit here on fade to gray and only bash Donald Trump um, right. without saying some of the things that I think that he got right. Yeah. Because I think and, there and were Biden a few too. things. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I agree. And, you know, <laughs> Sorry, one Seth. thing that I <laughs> really appreciated about Trump is him calling out the media for, for what they are, which is fake news. Most of them are completely all about sensationalism. And uh, like I said on the last episode, they're culpable. So um, anyhow, yeah, Seth. <laughs> Seth got his hand up. Your point <laughs> about the fake news. You're not wrong. He did point it out, but then he also went and created his own fake news. Have I'm, you I watched agree. Newsmax? <laughs> no. Like, no. I, I agree. <laughs> like these people, there's an underground Trump line. What do you mean these people? people are. <laughs> now you're talking about Eric in particular. He writes for Newsmax. What are you talking about? I know. <laughs> no, I've never watched Newsmax. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that was, I, I knew better. What's your parlor handle, Eric? A parlor handle. <laughs> I don't have parlor either. <laughs> no, I'm just saying he did point out fake news, but at the same time, he. Yeah, sure. Yeah, he did yeah he's a huge old hypocrite. Yeah. But I mean, you know, the fact that he's willing to call them out in front of everyone. Oh, it was so, so delicious. Like when he would say, you are fake news. Oh, it just my my whole body just lit up with, you know, excitement. It was just the first time anyone, any president's been honest about that. Yeah, you know, I, so I, I loved that. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, at first I liked the idea of the guy and I me mean, coming in, going to expose all these uh conspiracies and drain the swamp and the whole idea of like, I'm not really a Republican. I'm kind of just my own thing. And that like, it's like, it's pretty idealistic, but if it were to work out, I'm like, okay, I can look over like maybe the grab the pussy comment, I guess. I mean, I've said stupid stuff too. You know, I'm not running for president, <laughs> but you know, it was one of those things like, but then it just kept getting worse and more divisive and I, I was never, never on the Trump, Trump train. I just was kind of like, we'll see. And then it was like, dude, the fucking country's burning. The world's burning. We need, we need yeah. some, we need to do something <laughs> different and this is not it. Um, but, uh, so check this out. Here's the thing about Trump. Did, have any guys ever seen Manchurian candidate? Yeah. I know what it is. I don't. I, I mean, it is Denzel Washington? Um, I think he was in it. Yeah, gosh, it's uh, been a long time. It has been a really long time. Um, that that was the most recent one was a remake. But I want to know how it, this movie molded you. It, it <laughs> well, essentially, there is a candidate that's completely groomed from childbirth to become the president and has a microchip put in his brain so where they can control him. Oh, yeah, MP. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, put into his brain, and um, they can control him. You have to have a brain to um, get a microchip to work, though. Well, they, they screw <laughs> into his brain, and they do all sorts of stuff with it. That's kind of I mean, like the I th premise behind I, it. I thought he was, but he can't be the mentoring candidate if he's a time traveler, and I thought that's kind of what the whole thing is. If you're No, the point is, it, is that it's impossible, for, it is impossible for Trump to have been a Manchurian candidate because he went in buck wild and said, screw the system, 
I'm going to do what I want. And it ended up failing for him because all of these tech companies that he's using to distribute his information said, all right, fine. You can, you can make fun of us all you want and you can target us, but look, silence. <laughs> now you don't get heard. <laughs> Speaking of conspiracies and things of the like in Donald Trump's pre presidency, the fact that this last year, they released all of the Area 51 information and stuff and nobody talks about it seems a little bit like iffy to me. I'm not sure. I know we've had some deep dives and conspiracies before. I don't know if you've sobered up and now looked at that and been like, yeah, that's maybe not something that interests me anymore. But or did you follow any of that when they released? No, I'm not. It, okay. I'm not. Yeah. Brief me on it. Oh, just this last year. I, I don't know a whole lot about it either. I mean, I also know there's, I think, something on like HBO Max on it as well. Um, but I think they declassified some documents is all. I don't know um, that there's... Don't don't worry, Chris. I'm not going to get into cave aliens here. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> good. No, but the the declassified stuff is just that they're you know they're confirming that yes we we've seen UFOs. You know, not that they're alien or anything, but yeah, there are UFOs kind of thing uh, mm -hmm. is what's been declassified. Now there are, um, you know, military men who claim that there's no way that these things are Earth. You know, from Earth, but the government's not going to say that. You know, they're just saying yeah, there are UFOs. We don't know what they are. That's all they're saying. I mean, that kind of stuff is possible. Uh, but I think that there is, uh, there's also the fact that we don't know the technology that our government has while it has it. They release to the stuff, they release their stuff and their tech to us as they want us to be aware of it and know about it. I mean, it's a huge national security risk if we were to be aware of all of our technology. So I think that the stuff that happened with Roswell and stuff could have been like some kind of governmental screw up where we were experimenting with technology. It may not have been out of this world at all. It may have been stuff we were trying out. Who knows? I mean, yeah. And there's also this uh, Harvard professor named um, A.V. Loeb. Um, I've been reading about him. He's saying that that uh, object that passed close to Earth back in 2017, it was like super thin and whatever, like super reflective. Um, he's got a book that's going to be coming out later on this year, and they're saying that he thinks it's alien. Um, mm. So that's interesting too. But anyway, I don't know how we got yeah, off talking it, about aliens. Yeah, it's, it's my fault. Trump but, and but, aliens. <laughs> is Trump an alien? Or, or, or a time traveler? I mean, is. I think I may, have, I may have discussed it before <laughs> on this show, but there is, I guess, a, a book in a, a museum someplace that mentions Baron Trump and it talks about like the last president and there's some, some collations and the guy's name, uh, that the president hires was Pence. He used to, he lived on in New York, um, on the same street Trump towers on there's some collations and stuff like that. But so I would vote, um, that if time travel exists, that's the only way that he became president. But I don't, I don't know what the, I don't know what the end game is here. So, um, we'll just go back, I guess, Talking We're about going there. down a rabbit here's hole of conspiracy say. theories. This oh, a little bit. I'll we're say. scratching the surface. I don't think we've gone down a yeah. hole yet. I, no, I don't we're, think we're so nearing it. <laughs> we're rounding around but it. <laughs> here's what I want to say, Eric. There may be some listeners 
that are listening right now mm-hmm. who they may not even recognize that they have a problem, but maybe they're also uh, abusing substances, whatever it may be, whether it be marijuana, maybe they drive cross state to get it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they make edibles, you know, on the weekends, who knows, but either way, someone here may have some sort of substance abuse issue. And what would you say to them? What would you say to maybe help them out? One, um, <laughs> you're not alone. Definitely not alone, even on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You're, yeah, you're, you're not alone. Um, Substance abuse too um, is a real disease like anything else. And I am really, really big on social awareness and acceptance of that because the stigma associated with and attached to, oh, someone that has substance abuse is um, a homeless person that robs and steals liquor stores, can't maintain a job, can't do anything, um, fights all the time. That's terrible. And that makes it impossible for someone to really come to grips with the fact that they may have a problem and they may be out of control. And um, so destigmatize that, recognize that it is a disease that a lot of people deal with. But the third thing is um, alcoholism and other diseases, I believe are self-diagnoses. I can tell you that you have a problem all day long. It's never going to mean anything until you accept yourself that you have a problem. That's, that's the first step is person saying, okay, I have a problem and no one no one, no matter how persuasive they are, can convince them otherwise. They have to do it themselves. And they have to make the decision to do it, too. It's not like yeah. they can be bullied into it or, you know, uh, what is it, uh, interventioned into it. It's mm-hmm. it's really something that they have to decide to do. Yeah. Right. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'd like to go ahead and admit to everybody that I have a substance abuse problem. Uh, and it is uh, ice cream and cookies. Those are substances. And I have to, they are. And I have to make the decision to stop. <laughs> and I'm ready. I'm ready now. <laughs> I'm, I'm halfway joking, but seriously, uh, I do need Once to. Once you go salty, anyway. you won't want sweet anymore. <laughs> For real, man. Um, I, I did bring this with me just in case I might want to reference it. But you can get these pretty cheap, the big book of AA. And this is the original one. This program has worked since 1939. Insert whatever it is that you're struggling with, and this will work. It doesn't have, it's not alcohol exclusive. Um, AA is, is a way of life. It's not just about drinking. Um, so... It's a whole new way to live life, and it works. 
So would you say Dude, that I'm so proud of you? Yeah, and would you? Say, I, I, I'm sorry that I keep hijacking Omar, but I just I do want to take just a second and say you look fucking great, and you're you're just doing so good. God damn it! So you just interrupt me just to hit on Eric, man. Like, put it away, <laughs> Chris. He's a good looking like dude. <laughs> Omar, you already came in. I did, but, but you know I, I have a lot of stamina and I'm ready to go again, uh, Eric. So it sounds like <laughs> AA and where you're at with that and finding that community um, and how much that has helped you and with the way things went with COVID and not being a part of your church community as much anymore, would you say then um, AA has been your new community and has found kind of like maybe that helped you find that sense of belonging um, that you may even have been missing more even more so now if without your church community and is it a better Um, community uh, i'll ask that as the the second question (laughs) well i will say that if um sort of that's good it sort of has um i'm kind of at an impasse right now because i had some issues with my sponsor and his wife and so that kind of Ooh, was it a um, three-way situation no, it was more like she thought that she was a guru, and that just doesn't work with AA. Um, no. And so um, because there are resentments that built up, it just kind of built the integrity of my sponsor's monthly relationship. Like, I can't talk to you because it's your life. Um, but, uh, yeah, that ideally, AA actually could function as um, – is what would be a church. The way that the founders of AA set it up was based on this group called the Oxford Group, which was a Christian group, but they described it as a first century church. First century churches took places in small gatherings. It was not very religious at all. They just got together and met and shared their beliefs and had a community. And, um, it does help for sure finding people that do want to live sober because living sober is not like holding your breath and seeing how long you can hold your breath because when you're underwater, you still have to come back up to breathe. Living sober is like learning how to breathe again. Um, So it really helps to have other people that, they want to live sober too. Yeah. Yeah. We have a, uh, a comment on Facebook. Uh, Chrissy wants to know what are the AA meetings like online or what are they like during COVID? I imagine they're online. Yeah. The, the, um, great question. The Zoom meetings are great because, um, and actually, my sponsor, who is who is really, really great. He's an awesome guy. He brought me through all the 12 steps and everything. I never met him in, in real life. I never met him in real life. Um, the Zoom meetings, they happen all over the world. You can find a recovery meeting at any time about anything. And it's awesome. It's great. So try it out. Try it out. How do you get con- how do you get connected to them if you're if you're mm-hmm. unfamiliar where to find an AA meeting on Zoom and they are still available? Um, is there somewhere we can go to look for them? Enter 
group is an intergroup that has all of them. Let me see. Yeah, I was going to say you could probably go to Reddit and maybe find something, but never mind, because they'll probably send you somewhere crazy. AA-intergroup.org. And that, find the next available meeting. Yeah. And there's meetings all over the place. Some are open, some are closed, and they're about every single thing you can think of. But like I said, um, the thing that I like about AA is the sincerity and the authenticity is there. It's no knock on NA or even Celebrate Recovery or the other groups, but um, shoot, Carl Jung is even referenced in the big book. So... All right on. Appreciate it, man. And I was giving Chris a hard time, but you know, I've said it earlier and I'll say it again. Um, you know, keep up the good work. Um, you're definitely, um, so much more lucid. Maybe, maybe, uh, we'll give you the conversation. Uh, I'll give it, you know, 10 out of 10. I was a little, you know, I missed some of the characters and let's talk about that just a little bit before we wrap up. Um, our our last, (laughs) our last conversation we had with you, um, was yeah, a, was that. was a lot of fun, but um, it started out as all this big gag. Uh, Andy was around at that point, and we were all gonna me. I think it was basically me, you, and Andy were doing a live episode where we were gonna have this mock um, interviewing a white supremacist type situation. Oh, no. And, and um, it started out like mildly funny, kind of awkward. And then somewhere like about like five, ten, ten minutes into it, like you started actually sharing some like stories about your family that like I was like, I don't know if this is joking anymore or it got like and it, and I wasn't really sure I wasn't really sure how to handle it. And our podcast was so new at that time. Like I was I, I, did, like, I was like terrified of what people might think of us. And like and so I, we just kind of shut the whole thing down. And, you know, that episode went into obscurity. That's why we got rid of the audio, yeah. Omar. <laughs> yes. That's exactly how <laughs> I got rid of the audio. I feel like I probably made that up when I was acting the whole time. I can't think of anything in my family that was really that racist. So, I figured you did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there wasn't any clan <laughs> meetings, though, that you were brought to as a child? Then No. No, I've never been to one, ever. <laughs> I've never known a person in the clan before. <laughs> <I'm>, uh, <laughs> that, that oddly makes me feel a lot better. I mean, I wasn't judging you anyway, necessarily. I was just like, I don't know how to respond to this because if he's serious, like, I don't want to like completely shit on your family in front of you. But you know, that's kind of no fucked way. up. <laughs> that's 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 crazy. I, yeah, I I must have gone into full acting mode there because <laughs> yeah, there's no one. <laughs> What else did I say? <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was a lot. That's why I was scratching the surface with the whole conspiracy thing to see like how deep you wanted to go with that. Um, because you know a lot of it, you know, I think the most interesting conversations we did have though revolved a lot of your interpretations and the way that you like saw the Bible too at mm-hmm. that time. So um, yeah, absolutely. Which I can't recall right now to admit, to like maybe like bring it back up, but it seems like uh, and for a lot of us, um, I think now the Bible is not something that like I even talk a lot about. So I don't know if I would even be able to keep up um, if you were if you were telling me something. I'd be like, "You're probably right, Eric." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. I mean, 
there's seasons, seasons, you know. So he's got a new good book that he's all about, and that's that AA book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's the big book, and then there's the book. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely still a believer, still love the Bible. Um, so whatever, I mean, if there's anything scriptural you can think of to talk about, I'd be happy to discuss it. Uh, yeah. Are you still on Marco Polo? No, I never get on that anymore. Is that, is that partially because that would take you back to old habits or yeah. Is it like a trigger? No, 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 not at all. Um, I just don't really have time for it. Yeah. I just don't have time for it. And yeah. um, you probably go to bed at a decent hour nowadays, but back then, you know, about 10 PM, you knew that's whenever Eric was coming on and we'd all get on there and, <laughs> and hang out and stuff. So now you actually probably go to bed. You guys get up and yeah. run in the morning. Um, I got, I got, that's right. I got one. We'll just do like maybe one Bible question and or one that has to relate to faith and something you said earlier, unless anybody else has something, but then we can kind of wrap. But, uh, um, you mentioned how once you became sober again, um, you know, a lot of the dreams and visions, a call in life, you know, like my life has a purpose all kind of came back, um, rushing in. Um, do you, how does that over overlap? Do you feel other than living healthy and the three things you're doing to keep your mind, your body and your soul or spirit, you know, kind of alive in the right place? What do you see, God has for you. I don't know. That's kind of a broad question, but you, like what, what, mm-hmm. what, what was it that came to life? Um, that was in there, your spiritual, that awakening. That if I'm being used by God, it's important. And the only way that I can be used by him is to be humble, which means um, literally in Greek, the Greek word for humility is epiphrosine, and it means to recognize complete and utter dependence on God for everything. And so if I humbly accept whatever God has for me one day at a time, um, then he'll use me, and that's important. And that gives me existential purpose and meaning. It does not have to be big. I don't have to be the president. I don't have to be um, a huge athlete in the Olympics. I don't have to be the best accountant in the world. But whatever God has for me, if I'm being used by him, it has meaning and purpose. That's good. I like that. That's a good That's a good word, Pastor Eric. I receive it. <laughs> Thanks. Um, <laughs> anybody else have anything for Eric before we wrap? I just want to say again, I'm just so proud of you and you, you, you're doing so well and, um, I love it. And, uh, you know, I hope you're not a stranger. Um, love to, to kind of have you around uh, a little more often, you know, it'd be good to talk with you again and have these existential conversations. Um, like Omar said, especially now that you're a little more lucid. (laughs) Well, I really appreciate you guys having me on. Like, thanks a lot. Like not only just to see you guys, but, um, it's, it's an honor. Um, and you guys kept chugging along. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. Seriously, like um, a lot of people start stuff up and they don't stick with it. And uh, you guys stuck with it. So 
Yes. I'm sorry if I'm it's more good. boring now than I'm so. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's been great, man. I appreciate appreciate you and anybody out there listening right now. Um, you know, if you're connected with Eric and you know want to reach out to him, encourage him, maybe get more of his story. Um, if, just got some love. if you're look, looking for you know ways to maybe get your help some yourself, if you've connected yeah. um, with a lot of things that he, he he's saying and mm-hmm. saying maybe this is the time you're like I can't do this myself, and you're having that kind of moment right now. Um, we'll have in the show show notes or links, but it was aa dot what was it, Eric? aa intergroup.org has the Zoom meeting. And so you'd be able to find a local Zoom meeting in your area or something like that. But feel free to reach out to me. Um, yeah. I can't keep it unless I give it away. Sweet. All right, you guys. And you're on Instagram. What's your Instagram handle? Uh, Riddle. All right. Go follow him on uh, Instagram and like all of his uh, pictures of him kicking ass at uh, these marathons and at life in general. And go check us out at for- cool. Store Frontier, FDG Network. Get some sick merch like this. Uh, you know, the poor Seth shirt I'm wearing right now. Right. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs>